going to be reading from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Today's reading, We are children of the light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. It is common for people to perceive themselves according to their present realities. A person in ill health says, I am ill. Few say, I am well. It is my body that is suffering. People in a low income bracket say, I am poor. Only the unusual person will say, though outwardly I live in poverty, Inwardly, I am wealthy. Thus, when it comes to moral and spiritual development, people commonly identify themselves with their weaknesses and their mistakes. They consider it almost a sign of humility to say, I am a sinner. Though in effect, what this means is that they identify themselves with their sinfulness, not with the soul's power, to transcend all limitations in God. The great masters, including Jesus Christ, have always emphasized the divine potential of mankind. To encourage us, they address us as children of light, not of darkness. The Bible, in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, makes the point that our true home is not the mud of this earth, but the light of heaven. No man hath ascended up to heaven, it tells us, but him that came down from heaven. This passage continues, even so the Son of Man who is in heaven, emphasizing that Jesus, though he lived on earth, is perceived by the eye of wisdom as conscious, even in human form, of his true reality in heavenly spheres. The way to know God is to live in godly consciousness and not to bewail our imperfection and our distance from God. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the Bhagavad Gita states, Seekers of union with the Lord find him dwelling in their own hearts. But those who, lacking in wisdom, seek him with impure motives, cannot perceive him however much they struggle to do so. If you want to know God, Paramahansa Yogananda said, live in the thought that you have him already. Thus, through holy scriptures, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be with you. I'm going to begin this morning by reading from Whispers from Eternity. Prayers 
by Paramahansa Yogananda. I locked my sacred aspirations in my soul vault. My fineness, my fineness, hard word there, my finet, fineness <laughs> has gone to rest, cradled in thy arms of infinite perception. Noisy sense impressions quieted at the sound of thy softly approaching tread of inner peace. Calming my breath, wakeful in higher awareness, I sat, stilly waiting. Inner sounds, soul melodies burst out in welcome to thy majestic coming, O King Silence, with thy approach to my peace-decked meditation chamber. In the darkness, Hidden diamond chips of broken dreams dimly glittered, hinting at the blazing glory of thine approach. I gathered all my sacred aspirations and tied them together into a single bouquet with strings of countless graces that I had received from thee. Then I offered that bouquet at thy feet. Lo, my humble offering was transformed into a bouquet of gold. With this gold will I construct a shining, ever-enduring temple in my soul, wherein I will sit on thy throne of peace. Om. Amen. So in the reading, Yogananda said, our master, that if you want to know God, then live in the thought that you have him already. And isn't it too often we live in the thought that, well, he's a friend, but we don't really know him. Or like the little boy who wrote a letter to God, and in the letter he wrote a question. He said, Dear God, is Reverend Coe your, a friend of yours, or do you just know him through business? <laughs> and sometimes we just sort of know God through business. And, but Swamiji said that one of the first steps to becoming a saint is to want to want to be a saint. And that when we want that bad enough and we want it enough, then God will help us change our consciousness so that we can attain our goal. Change our consciousness and change our thoughts. And last week, Maria mentioned Swamiji saying that he no longer knew where Kriyananda ended and Master started. And you know, he didn't just suddenly get that way because he's more evolved than us. And he's way more involved than us. But he had to develop that and work through it. He said that for many years, every thought he had, he would check and see if it was in tune with Master. And he would try to make all his thoughts be in tune with Master. And then all of his emotions. So it was like he was constantly attuning himself to God through Master, and that eventually he never knew anymore where Kriyananda's thoughts were his own or they were Master's thoughts. And so he became that through that constant application, that constant yearning for God. And God helps us when we make the effort. Yogananda tells the story of a man who had diabetes, and he was diagnosed as having three months to live. So he thought, okay, three months, I might as well spend it seeking God. And so he started meditating and disciplining himself. And he prayed, God, come into this broken body and 
He prayed and he meditated, and three months went by, and he was still there, and five months, and a year, and then two years. And then he started disciplining himself more, and he was meditating 18 hours a day. And by three years, suddenly a light came into his body, and he went into ecstasy. When he came out of ecstasy, he prayed to God, and he said, God, I didn't ask to be healed. And God answered him and said, where there is my light, no darkness can exist. So we invite that light in, and that's what drives out the darkness. There was a man who wrote a book called Gifted Hands, and he was a surgeon, and very well-known surgeon, and also he was a very good surgeon. But when he was young, he said, when he was 14, he had a big, big problem with anger. Whenever he would get angry, he would just do something violent to somebody. And one day he was with his friend, his best friend, and they were camping. And his friend said something that made him very, very angry. And he took out his little pocket knife and he thrust it into his friend's stomach. Luckily, it hit his belt buckle and it didn't do any damage. But it shook him up so badly that he prayed desperately to God to change him. He said, God, change me. Now, he also prayed believing that God would change him. And he said he never had a problem with anger again, that that was gone, that God changed him instantly through the desperation of his prayer. So it's like, how much energy do we put into it? How, much, how, much, how do we hold our thoughts in a lofty place so that we can attain that consciousness that we need to be one with God? And... Swamiji said that when death happens, your consciousness stays the same, but in the astral world, everything is intensified. So if you've lived a life of joy and peace and giving, then you leave this body behind, you get out of the cocoon of our, our egos, and that joy is intensified. If you live a life of selfishness and enclosure in your own reality and don't relate to other people's realities, well, what happens is that becomes more intensified. But the ego is no longer such a, a cocoon that it, what happens is it, you have, don't have a way to feed those desires anymore that were your ego, and therefore you just fall into despair, into fear and suffering. And as the Bhagavad Gita said, even a little practice of this religion will free you from dire fears and colossal suffering. And that's what it's talking about. It's the suffering of the ego that is holding us enclosed. And so as we, we keep our thoughts higher, and how do we do this? How do we get to that place of knowing God, of really knowing God? I was thinking about this. And I was thinking... And, you know, we just keep saying the same things over and over again, don't we? I mean, we keep saying, okay, do this, do that, meditate, meditate, serve, all this. And then every once in a while we have an aha moment and we go, oh, I should meditate and serve. You know, it's like when Krishnadas first came to Ananda and he was driving into town with Asha, who had been here already for some years. And Asha, in kind of one of those moments, you know, is saying, you know, Joy is within you. 
And Krishnas is sitting there, you know, this newbie here at Ananda saying, well, yeah, it's written on all the literature. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, yeah, but it's true. Joy is within us. Joy, so how do we get to God? What is it that we need to do to finally realize all those aspects of God? It's the stillness. And Swami Kriyananda was our wonderful example of, of real stillness. And um, what is that stillness? It's that um, neutralizing those vortices of energy. I mean, it's all what Patanjali talks about. And a reading one time Swami had said that Swami had attained Shanti in his vrittis. That, that phrase to me is just thrilling. And it's, it's just a phrase that is so intriguing and it has so much truth in it. Shanti in his vrittis. This means, shanti means peace. Vrittis are those little whirlpools of energy that keep us tied to ego. And that means that Swami had neutralized those and that those were no longer had all those strings to the ego. He was free of the ego. And that is what keeps us in motion. Because God created the universe through the vibration of Om. He created the material plane with that vibration that is keeping us tied here. And over and over again, all those thoughts, those thoughts that keep us up, um, tied to whatever it is that is our current reality. When we were in India this last time, we were in a temple and we were waiting in a crowd. There was a crowd of mostly women, a few men, and it, it was in the middle of the day, so most of the men were probably working. <clears throat> but here we were standing waiting for the puja to happen and it was up uh, on kind of a stage thing. And so we're all standing here and I was feeling very, very the energy of the temple, very blissed out, very, very quiet. I was just very still and feeling like I could just stay there forever in that, in that consciousness. And then I opened my eyes at one point and it was like seeing this little sea of movement around me. And there were all these little Indian women. It was an experience, a different experience for me because I was taller than them. Usually I'm shorter than everyone, you know, but I could see over their heads. And there was, was this constant movement. They were just all moving. And they're adjusting their dupata and looking around and the, speaking a little, not much, um, but just moving. And I stood there and, and I checked myself and I was standing perfectly still. And then I looked over at Krishnas, who was standing beside me, and he was standing perfectly still. And it's like we were enjoying that energy and being still. And that's the one thing in India that we saw over and over again, is that wonderful devotion, but the restlessness. The restlessness, they were like little seagrasses in the ocean, you know, just always moving. And we experienced it another time in a temple where it was a Birla temple. The Birla family is a very old, wealthy family that has built a lot of temples around India. And we were in Jaipur at this, this wonderful, beautiful temple. And the puja was done. And the pujaris are still up there blessing people. And I, and I sat down on the floor. There was a big area. And I just sat there. 
and start to meditate. And it's kind of funny. It's almost like the, the, that constant energy and movement, <clears throat> it's almost easier to sit very quiet and still. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was sitting there, and every once in a while I would open my eyes. And there was always people, the Indians would come in, they would sit down for a while, look around, be devotional, and then they would get up and leave. And so around me, there would be people sitting, sometimes somebody would be praying, but no one was meditating. But it was interesting because they were all sitting really close to me. And I would open my eyes and there'd be different people. But, but it's like sometimes they'd be practically touching me or they'd bump me when they get up. And it was like I was sitting there in, in this, this very close quarters with all these people, but I was the only one that was going still with it. And this is what we've found with meditation, is that we can go still and take it much more deeper. Isn't that what we do? And to tune into those eight aspects of God that are the intrinsic part of us, of our soul. And the four of those qualities, love, peace, calmness, joy, those are the, the, the feeling qualities of our soul. And those are the qualities that have no dual to them. So when we tune into those on a deep way, then it's not going to take us the other direction the next day, as we so often find, when we go into the egoal qualities of the emotions. And so when, when we tune into that, that deep, let's say, calmness and peace, now deep peace of feeling, Master said, peace is like uh, a shower of a weightless rainfall falling on us. It's like it, when you wake up from a deep sleep and you feel rejuvenated. And um, that that quality, that stillness, peace is when there is an absence of vibration, of agitation in us. That's when you feel peace. And isn't it true? You feel peace when you stop all that mind stuff happening. And calmness, the calmness is that stillness. And when you get into that deep stillness, that stillness takes you away from the ego. And don't you experience when you're, you make a decision and it feels right, that deep calmness, that stillness. And it's not in an ego stratosphere. It's just that calmness. And so tuning into that through meditation is a way that we can, can access those qualities and not get into the emotions of it. And then the aspect of joy. Master said that we should tune into God as joy. Tune into God as love, but tune into God ultimately as joy, because that's the essence. And again, when we were in India, we were at a, a favorite ashram, and we go to Sri Yukteswar's ashram in Serapore, and then we went to Motilal um, Takor's ashram, who was a disciple of Sri Yukteswar. And in this ashram, the monks are all very joyful, and they all love to share. So they're always sharing, and they're, they're just eager to, to um, share Master's teachings and to just um, show you what their life is like. And one of our uh, pilgrims, Anne-Marie, she said, 
that one of the monks told her to go over to the samadhi mandir across the street. And he said, if you sit there, and that's where the saints' bodies are, he said, if you sit there very, very quietly, you'll hear Om. She said she was sitting there and she heard Om. She said she thought it was Mantra Devi Oming for the, the end of the meditation, but that when she opened her eyes, I wasn't there. And she realized that it was coming from inside. And I always have a wonderful, wonderful meditation there. And um, this time we met this older monk. He was 86 years old. And he had so much joy. He was just the most joyful little thing you could imagine. And he had been doing Kriya since he was seven years old. And they were, they were all kind of proud of him, you know. It's like, you know, they just, yeah, he's 86 years old and he's been doing Kriya since he's seven. He looked like he was in his 60s. And he was just a real, real light, so much joy. And you couldn't help but just be drawn to that joy. And um, I was standing with three of our Indian uh, members, and uh, one of them said, oh, I'd sure like to have a, a blessing from him. And he heard her say that, and he, you know, no, 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 he didn't want to. He was very humble. He wouldn't give a blessing. And we were standing there a bit longer, and I just felt like I was in the presence of a great soul. And I bent down to touch his feet. And so, which had the result of he, of course, wouldn't let me and pulled me up and started blessing me. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he blessed the other Indian women. <laughs> it was great being with the Indian women because they really knew how to draw, you know, the, the blessings out of any situation. And so he was, he, you know, this joy of doing Kriya, of going deep in his meditation and service and serving. Isn't that the way? When you serve, it takes you out of that uh, consciousness of me, of what's going on with me. So it's really developing that joy. You know, one time there was a guest here at Ananda and at the Expanding Light, and she was a little bit crusty. She, was, she had a, a, you know, barrier up. And, and um, I was in the food line beside her, and I said to her, I said, um, how are you doing? And she said, who wants to know? <laughs> and, I said, well, I, I just wanted to know if everything's okay and if you have any questions, you know, and she said, no, I don't have any questions. So that's fine. And then I was walking over to one of the tables and she came up to me and she said, I do have a question. Why is everyone here so happy? <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it was true. And another guest, a karma yogi, she said she couldn't believe it was true either. She couldn't believe that people could be so happy. And she said after being here a month, she realized that it wasn't a put-on, that it was real, that people were actually happy. And so we, by developing by that, and how do we get that way? Through service again, through meditation, and over and over again, you know, go deeper in our practices. Think of God. Say, God, I want you in my life. God, this is what I want to do. Am I ready to be a saint? Are you ready yet? And just experiment, looking at your thoughts every day. Okay, we get, get set in these old patterns, and we get set into thinking a certain way. And, and look at, watch yourself. Okay, are your thoughts going back into those same grooves, that comfortable groove, that familiar groove? It's a little bit like an Eeyore then, you know, change that. 
I don't want to have that thought. I'm going to change it. But it takes a lot of energy. It takes energy to do this all the time without... Master said to St. Louis, Saint, um, not St. Louis, Dr. Lewis, which he ended up being a saint. <laughs> he said, Dr. Lewis, don't ever avoid me. Don't ever avoid me. And so don't avoid God and be a channel for God. That's what keeps us going and going. You know, I want to tell you briefly about a hidden saint. And his name was Derek Bell. And Derek was um, the harpist for the Chieftains, which is a very famous band um, from Ireland. And Derek was a roly-poly little guy. And he, he always wore a, a thick sweater, a wool sweater. Even when it was 90 degrees out, he wore a tie and a, a sweater. And he was a devotee of master. But he lived this life of going with the chieftains touring around. Now, they were a rough-and-tumble Irish band. I mean, you know, body jokes and, and drinking and partying. And, and, um, and Derek met Swami and loved Swami, and he offered to uh, make an album for him, which Swami, at that point, was leaving on a trip in a couple of weeks, and he said, I don't have time to write Irish music or Celtic music for an album. And then, true to Swami form, he sat down and he wrote a whole album that is called Mystic Harp. Beautiful music. And Derek played it. Now, Derek was, um, he was a character. He was, he was really a, a deep soul, but it was totally covered up. I mean, he would come here and I'd end up, I worked in Crystal, in Clarity, Sound and Light, which was our music department, and helping to produce albums. And um, Mel Bly was heading it up, and Mel was the former president of Warner Music. And for those of you who knew Mel, he died last July, and none of us knew that. He didn't keep in touch. I tried to keep in touch with him a little bit, but he had gone back to his worldly life, let's say, and back in a cocoon that, that wasn't very reachable. Mel had a wonderful heart, and he loved Swami. And he was totally L.A. He was, you know, L.A. bred and born. So he was used to having this whole staff at Warner to help um, produce things. And here we were when Derek would come. And Derek would come once or twice a year, mostly once a year. And he would, we would put on shows in Palo Alto. And he would, um, he would just be... This, this presence that at first you think, oh, being around him, because at one point I had to say, Derek, don't use that kind of language around me. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I don't like it, and he never did again. And so here I am in this middle of this department with all these guys, music guys, and, and uh, one of them was very volatile and unpredictable. You wouldn't know what he was going to do next. And then there was Mel, who was L.A. and would call me babe. And, you know, it's like, and then there's Derek. And, and he's, he's, you know, unpredictable and doing all these things. And, and we're, we're in Palo Alto trying to produce this show. And basically, I was like the, the anchor that held it together because these musical types weren't very, very um, able to, to be... Well, you know, they, I was the, the mother, the secretary, the, you know, kept it. And I was staying in an apartment with Derek. And so it was like, it was very stressful. 
And usually when our department was kind of together and not in the midst of trying to produce a show, I was, it was frazzling for me. And the, the blessing was that being in that department, I was also around Swami a lot. So that would really keep me even. And, and, but these times when we were down there doing the show, Swami wasn't there. And um, so I found an interesting thing happening that even though there were all these stresses and all these things trying to pull me down, by the end of the week, my consciousness was a few notches higher. I would just go higher and higher. And I realized that being around Derek was that his joy. That's what he was. He was like pure joy. And he was a, a, a hidden saint because he could keep that consciousness going even in the midst of being in that hugely worldly situation of traveling with this band. And his love for God, when you got him talking, his favorite subjects were, were God and reverence for saints, reverence for Swami, deep, deep reverence for Swami and any way that he could help. And so it's like he was this covered up little brick of gold. That's what Derek was. And do you know how he died? He was traveling on tour with the band and he was in New York. And um, he went to the doctor, and he got a complete checkout, checkup. And he was checked up every, every test, you know, all this, and he was totally fine, totally healthy, nothing wrong. He was, he was perfectly okay. And he went back to his hotel room, and he laid down and died. That was it. No fanfare, nothing, just like our Swami. No fanfare, he just died. He was done. And he came to help us. His, the album Mystic Harp saved Crystal Clarity. Um, the sales were really bad. And for two years, that album was uh, the introductory gift for the Book of the Month Club. And so they would order lots and lots of albums from us. So, you know, it's like just serving God in that little way. That's what he came to do. And he came to help Swami, to help us to be here with us for a while, and then back to the astral world. And after he died, I remember tuning in and just feeling his joy. He was so glad to get out of that little body. He was like he was stuffed in it. So really just, just being, being that channel and being conscious of being that channel, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how little it is. Be a bright light. We are children of the light. This is, this is Master telling us that. Then be that bright light. Let it shine. It doesn't matter in what way that you serve. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it looks this way. But you are really shining with God's inspiration and God's consciousness. And Master said, he said, dwell on the thought of your innate perfection in God. And as you do that, then you will draw God's presence. And he said, God wants to pull us out of this turmoil of this life. God wants us to have salvation. And he said it, it is, I like the way he put it. He said, God has a very personal uh, interest in your salvation. And he is all merciful. 
So it's like God is more than our friend. We are that little drop. And so we need to shine, shine like a rainbow. As we do that, then we will finally be one with God. So God bless you.